<laughs> you see? So, uh, you know, they make laws or regulations without thinking about it. Because you've got to push it to the bitter end and say, in an extreme case, what could happen? I mean, this cries to heaven for justice, doesn't it? That you are making, in good faith, a payment to the bank, and then the bell rings, and uh, the, bell, uh, the bank has the right to protect itself, you see? So the window is shut, and uh, your money is lost. That's the logical consequence. All right. Now, this is fairly straightforward, this idea of uh, borrowing short and lending long. Op opinions may differ, but that's not the real problem. Because I think most people would feel that there's something wrong with borrowing short and lending long. But now, here's something, and I can speak with authority that this is this should be absolutely forbidden but it's a controversial proposition so let me uh, say a little bit about that i'm referring to the sentence which you wrote down first illicit interest arbitrage which i suggested at the time that it's similar there's a connotation there's a uh, uh, similarity between the two. But actually there is not. And this is a theoretical question. And I find myself opposed by the most illustrious representatives of the Austrian school. The issue is, is there such a thing as a rate of interest on the one hand and a discount rate on the other? Or there is no substantial difference between the two uh, other than technical, which means that the discount rate is usually a short-term interest rate and it's uh, usually taken out of the proceeds of the loan. In other words, when you raise a loan, a long-term loan, you get the whole amount of the loan and then start paying interest at the next uh, uh, payday. Could be a month, could be a quarter, could be whatever it is. And uh, there is another, which is the common practice for shorter term loans, that you get a loan, but not you won't get the full amount because the bank takes out the first uh, interest due from the amount of the loan. So you get a discounted loan. Okay. And, and then again you pay interest as time goes by. And uh, I'm not interested in any other aspect of the difference of these two, but this is a technical uh, difference and uh, it's up to bargaining. You can bargain with the bank that you want the full amount and not a discounted amount and so on. That's not the problem. So this is what actually Ludwig von Mises uh, suggested. It's, uh, as you know, he wrote uh, very important books. 
uh, early in the 20th century, in fact in 1912, just before World War One, he wrote the theory of uh, money and credit, and it's very clearly stated uh, that uh, in in his book that there is no uh, theoretical difference, technical difference, yes, but theoretical difference, no, between interest rate and discount rate. And then, of course, he uh, uh, this first book was written in German and decades later translated into English. But the second uh, book, uh, The Human Human Action, appeared under this title already in English first, I think 1949, uh, but uh, uh, there were several later editions and uh, I just tell you if you didn't know already that the later editions, English editions, are considered the authentic because the first English edition, uh, uh, Mises suggested that was sabotaged intentionally. Uh, the word he used botched up, the first edition. Well, that's not the point I'm trying to elaborate on, but in the human action, the position Mises took in 1912 is still maintained. That uh, there is only one theoretical rate of interest, and he calls it originary interest. It could be modified by various things, such as uh, risk factor and uh, maturity structure, this and that. But basically, that's it. There is no other uh, yield which you can talk about uh, when it comes to credit. Now, it was never explained properly by the Austrians, Mises included, that this is not the position of Adam Smith. Because Adam Smith, the father of the real bills theory, was very clear on it that there are two sources of credit. One is borrowing, lending and borrowing, and the measure of that is the rate of interest. And there is another one which surprisingly, or paradoxically, if you like, is spending or consumption. So saving, on the one hand, is a source of credit. Everybody would agree with that. But there's another one, which is consumption. Now, you might say, how come consumption be a source of credit? Well, very easily. When people have, uh, with apologies to Keynes, a high propensity to spend, okay? When they have a high propensity to spend, then the fact that there's a high demand for consumer goods is going to show up in uh, the measure of this uh, propensity and also the credit which it generates. 
And that's very different because as opposed to saving, it's going to be consumption. So uh, it's not going to be the rate of interest. It's going to be the uh, discount rate at which a real bill exchanges hands when it's used in payments. Because real bills do circulate. And Mises himself acknowledges that in uh, Lancashire, England, before the uh, Bank of England uh, opened a branch in Manchester, there was no bank, but there was huge industry. The wool, and I think uh, in, on the east uh, coast of England, there was the uh, cotton, or was it the other way around? Perhaps it was, never mind. I. Uh, <laughs> That's not my point, but the point is there was a huge industry, no banks to finance it, and yet it was financed, and it was financed fully by real bill circulation. So here it is, we have a, a, a second source of credit, and this is, this is uh, uh, the consumption. Uh, if you don't immediately agree with me that that's the case, then you have to think about it. That uh, when uh, the propensity to spend is low, then it's harder to, to uh, raise credit if you want to produce for consumption. But if it's high, then it's easy to get credit. And in fact, you don't even have to apply because the real bills do have that facility that they can fly on their own wings and under their own steam. And I am here like Luther and says that, that I challenge the whole orthodoxy because that is a different type of credit and it's a very bad mistake to confuse credit which arises out of saving on the one hand with interest as a measurement and credit arising out of consumption with the discount rate. So uh, the uh, the problem which I am raising here is illicit interest arbitrage. And uh, that's my <coughs> term. I introduced it. And uh, I there were two factors involved here. One is that for some strange reason, the Austrian school doesn't like the word arbitrage. And as a matter of fact, it's a very important word. I, in my first lecture, I told you that Menger was the one who said it's not the price, but it's the spread. So that's, that's very similar here, that um, uh, we uh, study the uh, study credit, and then we say that uh, 
It's not buying and selling which is important in the economic world. It is arbitrage. And that's create, that is creating the spread. Buying and selling, just one price. But that's not the real dynamic force behind the scenes which drives the uh, production, consumption, uh, invent, in, uh, inventions, new patterns come but it is the arbitrage, which is buying and selling combined, usually uh, very close in time, but uh, this is not necessary. Sometimes it's a bit removed in time. And also, it doesn't have to be in the same market. Sometimes they are very distant. An example would be uh, soybeans, and soybean oil. You know, these are two different markets, but there is a, an obvious relationship between the two. So when a market uh, agent, market maker, takes a position, it's usually an arbitrage position. He buys one, sells the other, and then time he expects the spread to either to widen or to uh, narrow, and as it does, he may reach his point where he wants to take profit, and then he reverses the trade. So I would say arbitrage is not just an important word, but it's more important uh, of a word than uh, buying and selling. And. Uh, and yet, the Austrian school, I did check it out. I uh, looked at the uh, index of human action and half a dozen other uh, major books of famous Austrian economists, and the word arbitrage did not turn up in the index. Now then I was a little more thorough and I read and reread the human action and I did find the word arbitrage somewhere in the body of the work but no index reference to it. And that example of an arbitrage which Mises mentions was not of the fundamental type of arbitrage which I have in mind was just some uh, marginal arbitrage. So uh, I, I want to go on record that I, I did my homework, I checked the uh, human action very thoroughly, and it would be false to say that uh, Mises never used the word arbitrage. But certainly it never gave arbitrage the importance which uh, would follow naturally to my mind, from Menger's work, who uh, Menger shifted the emphasis from the price to the spread, the same way uh, we should shift the emphasis from buying and selling to the. Oh, come to think of it, what is barter? Barter is arbitrage. Yeah, it's not common practice to call. Barter. I'm talking about barter 
in the Stone Ages, you know, when somebody with a, a sheep approached somebody with a pig and then they uh, uh, tried to barter. But you see, this is a simultaneous buying and selling on the part of both. So uh, arbitrage is very important, historically and also theoretically. And uh, I am going to take up a, a debate any time when somebody wants to challenge that. I'm very happy to uh, debate this. If, uh, anyhow, now, how does that come, that problem come up for us when we talk about uh, adulterated and odd unadulterated gold standard. Well, easy. This is easy. Uh, the yield curve already gives you some idea that it um, adulteration leads to an unstable situation. But when you, and I don't mean you, I mean a trader or a bank is trying to raise funds in the bill market at a low discount rate and use the funds in the loan market at the higher interest rate. This is absolutely illicit, illegal. It's much more so than in the case of uh, the uh, uh, yield curve, as we discussed it just a few minutes ago. And, and for a very good reason, which I'm trying now to explain in just a few sentences. The bill market is a facility which society creates for the purpose of helping people to survive, which means they have to get food, clothes, shelter, energy, this, that, that. And this is survival, so it's very, very important. Whereas in the other case, where you have this broader spectrum of lending and borrowing, it's no longer a matter of survival because these needs have been taken care of socially. Socially, and socially is a good word, not a bad word here, you see? I mean, just like police protection is socially provided, although you as a wealthy individual could also hire your private police force, but society has to provide for everybody. In the same way, when it comes to food, shelter, clothes, and so on, uh, most important consumer goods, then society has this facility of the uh, real bill circulation. Nobody designed it, nobody patented it, it, it just grew and uh, <coughs> the uh, outcome is that there is a basic production, uh, protection, 
which everybody gets. Everybody gets. Now, if you want more protection as an individual for extra payment, you can get it. But this is something which is uh, granted uh, for everybody. The, the, the cost of producing these very basic uh, consumer goods should be as low as possible and it should not be subject to various spikes of interest rates or uh, usurious practices or what have you. Because this is, as I say, a basic facility which society makes available to everybody. This is very, very important. Now then, if you try to short-circuit the system and say, okay, that's a low discount rate, wonderful. I raise the money in the bill market, sell phony bills, invent non-existing goods, commodities, which are supposed to move from the producer to the uh, consumer, but they are not because the uh, conspirators, could be the miller and the baker, the flour uh, mill I'm talking about, conspire and they arrest the movement of wheat to the consumer. And they say, we expect higher prices, so we just uh, issue bills and move this to the elevator and leave it there because in a couple of months the price of wheat will be higher. This is not allowed. The bill has to move and the underlying good has to move. It moves in the opposite direction. But they have got to move. You have no right to take advantage of the low discount rate and use it for speculation. This is like uh, uh, using somebody else's funds to speculate without his knowledge and approval. And and this is very, very important. That this should be prevented. It's, a, well, crime may be too strong a word, but I'm not hesitating, and I would say it's a crime. Because you are using a facility, just like uh, taking the uh, uh, fire truck from the fire station for a joy ride, you know. I mean, obviously, <laughs> you can't say I'm a taxpayer, I put money uh, in this fire engine, so why can't I have a joy ride, you know. So this is the kind of thing we are facing. Borrowing, uh, I mean, illicit interest arbitrage is illicit, period. It's illicit. It should not be allowed. There should be uh, uh, there should be uh, facilities which uh, survey the users of the market. If somebody uses it for illicit purposes, then they should be punished. So, you see, this is very serious because when illicit 
uh, arbitrage is rampant. A lot of people are doing it, trying to do it. Then uh, the result will be that the discount rate will rise and the rate of interest will get lower. And when they are sufficiently close, in other words, the spread is getting very small, then this is when the uh, uh, business cycle, uh, boom-bust cycle, will uh, come into force and will destroy a lot of innocent businessmen because uh, they, they uh, cannot carry their normal business, which assumes a low this country and the higher interest rate and so on. I have no more time to talk about that, but I'm, uh, I'm trying to make a very strong point here that this is not simply antisocial, this is criminal and those who are uh, trying to do that should be punished. And uh, I don't like the arguments of uh, some Austrian economists who say that the bank sh should be allowed to do what, uh, what they want. Who are we to say that the banks cannot uh, borrow short and lend long? Who are we? It's the London. Do it, but they will pay a price when they go back. It's not as simple as that. And even more so when it comes to the the interplay between the discount rate and the rate of interest. Now, <laughs> I've been talking about the adulteration of the gold standard. So what is unadulterated? It's the denial of all this. So in other words, the gold standard does have some uh, conditions, some restrictions, some rules which would rule out certain type of behavior. And I would certainly argue that illicit interest arbitrage is the number one. But then there are minor forms such as borrowing short lending long and uh, there are uh, uh, there is a need for policing this and so on. This is just like the justice system. Society uh, creates a legal system and it will uh, list the, the crimes and will specify the penalties. That's just understandable. So uh, I would say keep it in mind we are for gold standard but and, and we are not just for more regulation for regulation's sake. It's not at all. But this problem has been ignored. And uh, I, if I had more time, I would go into this question that I am uh, very sympathetic to the business cycle theory of the uh, Austrian school. But I don't consider it a finished theory for this reason, because it simply ignores illicit uh, interest arbitrage. 
and as a consequence, I mean, what basically the Austrian theory of business cycle says is that uh, businessmen are pretty have pretty limited intelligence because the banks. This is what happens. The banks push down the rate of interest. The government aids and. Uh, aided and abetted by the government, they succeed, and when interest rates are low, then the businessmen uh, become over-optimistic, and they just swallow the bait, which low interest rates are, they over-invest, and so, and then after the boom, bust, follows naturally. But I beg your pardon, why do you assume that businessmen have such a limited intelligence that year after year or decade after decade the same thing happens because even though the business conditions recover and the banks uh, start lending again and interest rates are normal and so on, then some bank starts the game all over again, pushes it down, the government says yes, go ahead, do it even more, we like it because we can borrow more money from the people at a lower rate of interest and so on and so forth. So the same thing happens again, the low interest rates uh, are the bait, and the businessmen just bite and they make overinvestments and the same story. Why, why on earth are businessmen so dense? Why can they learn uh, that they have been uh, cheated once and now they are cheated again? I'm referring to the saying, uh, fool me once the shame on you, fool me twice, the shame on me. Why can the businessmen uh, set up their own standards and say no, you have done the same to the banks, you have gone too far, and so on. So uh, this is my criticism. And the answer is that the uh, Austrian economists who uh, stick uh, to their guns and they say that that's just the way it is. It's not satisfactory. I would say it happens because the problem of illicit interest arbitrage has not been recognized, has not, has not been studied. And I am just the lonely voice in the wilderness who tries to point this out. Okay, so uh, <laughs> I don't say any more <laughs> about the unadulterated uh, gold standard, but I think this is very important. So in addition to gold standard, real bill market, and uh, some of these uh, uh, provisos which rule out uh, the uh, illicit interest arbitrage, we have the so-called unadulterated uh, gold standard which will be free from the business cycle. <coughs> Thank you. Uh, could I just say no. a word on that, yeah. Professor? When you say the, the, the low interest rate is a, is a bait, 
I think it's more than that. I think those businessmen who don't take advantage of this would be swept away. Well, that's right. And they have no chance to compete. Yeah. So it's forcing them to do that. It's not their stupidity. Yeah. It's just yeah. So th 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 this is just amazing. I, I, I have been trying to talk to Austrian economists who uh, who uh, keep saying that uh, no, that's the business cycle, that's the full explanation. I would say, I would say, it's not. It's not. There's obviously something there which, uh, you see, when it's cyclical and it's human-made, you can do something about can do very much about the cycle of the seasons of the year or various other cycles. But that's the way it is, and, and as Rudy points out, it is not just a bait. It is something that the honest businessman is penalized, those who approach business as it should be approached. And in some cases, they are bankrupted and they are swept away. And this is very bad. Time for morning tea. Morning tea has been served. Thank you. So we come back. Probably uh, 11.30, I'd say. 11 no, that's too, too little.